0: Finally, I'm finally free. Finally, I'm finally me. Finally,
1: I'm finally free. Finally, I'm finally me. Hi, you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie Broadmax. I'm your host along with Lauren Warren, game contributor to Black Girl Nerds. She is a social media personality that always rants and raves on Twitter, and I love reading her tweets, and she's also written some really great content on the site outside of gaming, so she's here with me to chat about her latest article that's gotten a lot of traction on social media, a lot of folks have been retweeting it, some, some celebrities have seen it, um, and it's about the HBO Project Greenlight series, so Lauren, thanks for, for coming on and chatting with us tonight. Thank you for hyphening.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Lauren, first of all, this article was amazing. Um, As someone who has experience in the film industry, as a film school graduate, a lot of what you said in this article and what you articulated really hit home for me on so many different levels. Uh, For those who have not had the chance to read it, can you give us some background
2: on uh, what your article was about? Sure. Um, Well, this season was season four of Project Greenlight, uh, which is a show created by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. The premise behind it is to give an up-and-coming filmmaker a chance to make their first uh, big film with a big budget and have it distributed on a large network. And the premiere episode featured a bit of an intense exchange between Matt Damon and the producer that they hired uh, to sort of be on the team of consultants, Effie Brown. Effie Brown is a veteran, and Effie just wanted to point out to the group there that if they're going to do a film uh, with a character that was a prostitute, and this prostitute was a woman of color, and the pimp uh, is is white— that they need to be cautious of how this looks. Optics, you know, uh, right. let me caution you on the optics because this is kind of a trope and it's been done and it has to be handled with care. And so Matt Damon stepped in and explained why he thought it wasn't a problem. Uh, and she said, okay, well, let me just caution you that, you know, when you think of these things and she brought up the term diversity and that's when it kind of all went left field. And that's when the infamous Damon's took place. Well, let me tell you, woman, what diversity means to me, and you know it took her back to the point where she could only say, "Oh wow <laughs> you know here's um here's me, an industry professional giving my opinion that I was hired to give, and here is this man sort of wagging his finger in my face explaining what it means to him.
3: Wow. Oh, the irony of it
2: all so. That's, that's how it got started. That's why I decided, I think I'm going to watch this season. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need to see how this turned out. So,
1: I want to give our listeners a little bit more context about what this show is about by playing a soundbite from the show and also the infamous Damon Splaining clip that went viral on the Internet. So um, let's take a listen real quick to this season's HBO's Project Greenlight.
0: Real. HBO believes in encouraging young filmmakers a show like project greenlight really peels back the curtain on what the process is to make a film
4: us to have this Matt and I are putting our own reputations and credibility on the line because it sort of suggests hey this is how we see this business or you know this is our Voice about what filmmaking is.
0: This is it. This is the big moment. So much is writing
4: on this. I'm not necessarily in it to win a competition, necessarily. I'm just here to try to make the films that I want to make. The
5: person who will direct the movie for Project Greenlight this
4: year is, in fact, Jason Jason. Just one Project Greenlight, which is crazy and strange as hell. I just feel, you know, this huge weight of of this movie is is just suddenly on top of me. I went into the room uh, with these folks and I pitched them what I, I think I consider to be the least commercial version of this movie, so... Welcome to HBO.
0: Thank you HBO, amazing, amazing. I can't complain about losing to Jason because that guy is incredible. I am so excited to get home and just
4: keep keep going even harder. We announce
5: the big one. He pigeonholes us.
4: Because I have you guys here now, uh, two two things before I forget. What uh, I am going to request at some point that we try to shoot it on film is, That's fun. Uh, that's fine. I would love to do that. I've never shot digital myself. I've always shot. Yeah, this short was shot on film and and it makes it feel different, I think. And uh, yeah, uh, what else? Also, I don't mean to throw Pete under the bus, but we have so little time. I would maybe want to con- talk about and consider maybe another writer. It I mean, it's kind of astonishing that like within seconds of winning. Uh, he wanted to fire the writer. I, 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 It would be good to bring in somebody, uh, but I, I mean, I, I don't want to- Who would you bring in?
0: It's like, you can't write that. It's like great, it's just, it, that's Hollywood. That's what making movies is really actually like. It's never like a bunch of nice people get together and just creatively agree on everything
4: and make art. For the first name that comes to mind is, is someone Named Andy Beanen, who wrote uh, Boys Don't Cry. That you know, that great comedy, Boys Don't Cry. We're amazing. I'm so excited to see what you do with that.
0: Thank you. I love the fact that they're diverse in and of themselves, being a woman, and he's also a person of color. Diversity is very important to me. The films that I typically do are films about someone who's outside of mainstream, and most times that's women and people that are marginalized. A lot of times growing up in the 70s, there weren't a lot of positive images of women and people of color, you know, and that's what I noticed growing up of being like we were gangsters, prostitutes, drug addicts, things of that nature. This is an opportunity where I can change that.
5: All right,
0: Jason Mann, let's do it. I just would want people to think about Whoever this director is, the way that they're going to treat the character of Harmony, her being a prostitute, the only black person being a hooker who gets hit by her white pen.
4: We brought up to each other.
0: So, necessarily I, so I think on
4: the surface, they mm-hmm. look like one thing, but they might end up giving us
0: true something epic.
4: that we don't want. And when we're talking about diversity, y- you do it in the casting of the film, not in the casting of the show. Whew.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Okay. So that was really interesting. Um Damon-splaining, as we had mentioned before, got a lot of traction on Twitter. Um, I remember using it, and then all of a sudden it started trending, um, and I saw uh, that you were tweeting it. I saw Lexi Alexander tweeting it. Uh, <laughs> what, here's what Damon-splaining means to me. Like Damon-splaining um, is, of course, the portmanteau term for um, Matt Damon and then white-splaining, <laughs> but it's at another level. Because it's yep. not only white splaining, it's also mansplaining
2: at the same time. That's a combination of, of all three and it's it's <laughs> it's, just, it's too much you know two together is enough. But when you factor in the third piece, oh my goodness, it, it's so incredibly toxic and just but that's that's how it works. right That's how this industry works.
1: So with Matt Damon, like, when did he become a douche? Because I feel like, (laughs) like, I have liked his movies, and I've liked him as an actor for a really long time. And it wasn't until I saw this clip that went viral online, that I realized, wow, this dude is really full of himself. He really has a sense of entitlement.
2: You know, what's funny is that uh, that's been happening a lot. He's not the only one. So it could be that these people have been, well, he's been a douche the whole time and we just didn't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, you know, maybe it's over a period of time, you know, you grow, you're successful and you develop a bit of an ego and it goes unchecked because you're surrounded by yes men, yes women. Um, And then the camera catches you off guard and you show your true self. And then everyone sees it. I mean, even he went, uh, because I know this happened right around the time the Martian was released and during his, his press tour, he even admitted, okay, yeah, I look like a bit of a jerk. But it was more mm. of a sorry, not sorry. Yeah, I look like a bit of a jerk. And because he d- he said something the very next day or pretty soon after that about how um, homosexual actors should remain in the closet to get more work. Right, I remember that. So no one asked him for that either. <laughs> <laughs> but here he is flaming again. Um, you know, some actors just they do better when they have a script in front of them. Uh, he is one of them. Anthony Mackie is another. Oh God. Um, you know, a lot of our, our presumed favorites have been quite problematic. Um, and I think you know, just some people just perform better when they have a script in front of them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems interesting that this show has really held uh, his feet to the fire and also Ben Affleck with respect to diversity. And I'm so glad that Effie Brown was a part of this to really start opening up a conversation about diversity and how it's just completely sparse and what we need to to change that. And what I really loved about your article was it wasn't just a rant about, oh, we need more diversity, you know, all of these white guys suck. Like you see that in every article on the web, but you actually posited questions, solved problems really to – what we can do to change the narrative? What can we do to change the system?
2: Can you <laughs> a little bit of a day job creeping in? You don't po- you don't discuss the problem unless you have a solution.
1: <laughs> and I think I think that's awesome because it's like now on the internet, it's so easy to uh, rant over what's wrong and be right. angry at something, but nobody right. ever wants to actually say, okay, well, what can we do to change this?
2: Right, right, right. And that's yeah. I, and, and it took about three days to put this together. I, I remember starting it. Uh, Project Relight came on Sunday. I would DVR it or catch it on demand on Monday morning. And so uh, the Monday morning following the finale, I saw, I would usually tweet about it. I said, "Well, let me jot a few notes down." But then those few notes kind of grew and grew, and next thing I knew, it was about five hundred words. <laughs> And I said, okay, clearly I have more to say than I originally thought. And then I sat down some more, and then it was a thousand, then 1200. And I said, okay, let me organize this here. Let me make sure that, let me make sure it's not just a rant, you know, because yeah, that's, we don't need any more of those. That happens far too much as it is. But I was having a conversation with, um, film fatal NYC, Rebecca. Yes. Offline. And I just kind of asked, you know, cause she was, watching it along with me i don't know if she's caught up yet because she would say you know i had to pause that right because i think i got a headache from just watching this it was tough to watch i mean it really was um and so i had an offline conversation with her and i think i forget how brad pitt came up but somehow it was in a context of yeah he'd be really great to have on an advisory board he's got a a pretty vast catalog behind him under Mm his Plan B umbrella Um, he seems to be on the hunt for new talent all the time. And then from there, it just kind of, you know, scope my timeline for conversations. Of course, Lexi is the ultimate warrior you want in your corner as far as inclusion and diversity. And she's also not afraid to speak up and speak out and call people out on their privilege.
1: I Um, love Lexi Alexander. She just keeps it so 100 on Twitter. It's amazing.
2: she really, really does. And I thought, well, yep. Uh, right after Effie goes Lexi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's the thing. Like when a celebrity says something really stupid, something very misogynistic or racist, um, she is quick to, to check them and let them know, hey, this is not cool. That's and true. you don't get a lot of that, especially from, um, you know, the white elite in Hollywood. Um, And, and, you know, she's she's a part of that. She's done some some films and, and, you know, she's worked in television. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, she hasn't been given the kind of um, breaks that most of the men get in Hollywood. But, you know, she she's a part of that. And and to see her, you know, fighting for a lot of the social um, justice issues that we're always um, talking about on Twitter and blogging about and having podcasts about. It's good having someone like her um, as an ally and, and really just rallying for. Um, for social change,
2: right, and that term that term ally isn't to be dished out lightly. you know what I mean right. A lot of people think that they're allies, but their actions say otherwise, but that's not her. She is an ally, she is your she is your warrior, she will she is the person on the front lines. Um, ensuring that you know everyone has a voice and everyone has the right to to raise their voice and ask for a seat at the table that all these people that the that the brotriarchy are taking up all the seats the brotriarchy she... <laughs> she's telling these bros move over you've been hogging the table long enough and 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 I think she and Effie may have said it a little bit with with her she says it with her 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 job, you know, she knows when to say no. She says no when she needs to. And she calls people out on in optics. And right. He calls people out on optics, but on a much bigger scale.
1: <laughs> right, right. And, and, and,
2: uh, and Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You say,
1: don't let this season or this show die.
2: Yeah.
1: Reboot, relaunch and retool this show immediately. Um I, I really like that because you were like, well, since we're rebooting everything, um yeah. it wouldn't you know, it wouldn't uh, change anything for them to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you mentioned cast a wider net for submissions mm-hmm. and take a break, a long break. Really, it's okay. We won't mind. <laughs>
2: Not a bit. Not a bit. It was a tough watch. I mean, it really, really was. Uh, it's it's very difficult to watch someone who's just trying to do the job they were hired be almost sabotaged the entire way. Uh, To be vilified for being the no person, which is a tough job to do in any way, shape, or form. Um, But to watch someone basically be manipulated. And of course, you know there's editing. Uh, There's lots of film on the cutting room floor. But the fact that this is what HBO put on the air is very telling. Uh, And it makes me wonder what was left on the cutting room floor. If this is a narrative they chose to create, something like Love and Hip Hop, but with filmmaking then good grief. What what part didn't we see? It's interesting, and you mentioned this in your article, and
1: I'm going to quote your words here about the editing. You say, Effie was given the difficult edit. She was chastised and vilified for speaking up and doing things producers do, keeping a project on schedule, on budget, pointing out production issues, and having the difficult job of saying no. Again, these are things producers do. And I think that that's important to mention that because, That even speaks to the way women are manipulated in the boardroom. Like, I have been in so many situations in corporate America where women are pegged against each other and made to look like they're angry or they're being hormonal, you know, just because they are being assertive and affirmative in their beliefs. And if they say no to something, then all of a sudden that's a problem. But when a guy says it, oh, yeah, you know, he's taking one home for the team and, you know, he's a go getter and, and I just find that very interesting that even in real
2: life, women are edited to be difficult. Exactly. Uh, you know, don't you dare show any sign of backbone or uh, or strength or even, you know, knowledge of, you know, you know what you're doing because then you're difficult. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you know your job? How dare you do the job we hired you to do? You petulant child you, you know, it's it's crazy. This is the job she was hired to do. And from the first episode, it was, oh, well, she's not a team player. She doesn't agree. She's not a team player because she's not doing this. Well, I'm quitting because I don't want the drama. Well, the only person causing drama is you because you're quitting. That was Peter Porelli, by the way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So did he he end up uh, finishing out the project? What happened with that? Because apparently there was some... um, there was a little bit of animosity. There there was, you know, a little bit of backlash with him and
2: Jason Mann. Can you go into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Um, one of the first things that uh, Jason Mann demanded uh, after he won Project Greenlight was the opportunity to shoot on film. Now, mind you, this movie isn't being shown in an actual theater. It was being shown on HBO. So I guess, you know, there's a certain aesthetic that goes when you shoot on film, I get, but it's on HBO, which is digital. So why not just shoot digital? Um, Effie said no as a matter of economics. It will cost you $300,000 to shoot on a film. I'm here to keep your budget in check. Why not just go digital? Jason says, OK, enter Peter Ferrelli. Peter Ferrelli takes him to a place where, you know, he can kind of pick up the film and, and, and see how everything's going to look. Calls Effie and says, well, I took Jason to get the film. And Effie says, I told him no. You know, like a child. Wow. I told Jason he couldn't have the cookie, so he goes to you and asks for the cookie. Only this cookie costs $300,000. I'm out. But who's at fault here? Her for saying no? (laughs) Or him or Jason for going to him after Effie already said no? How old is he, like 12?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What? No.
1: I I just, and then I had heard the clip where he decided that he didn't want to go forward with the writer that was assigned to the show and he wanted to get with another writer. And I just, it just, it's very odd to me um, where he's coming from.
2: Ungrateful from the beginning. And I hate to, that's a very strong word, but I don't know any other way to describe it. And mind you, that was mere moments after they say, and the winner of Project Greenland is Jason Mann. Okay. Here's what I'm not going to do. Okay. Wait. (laughs) Wait, you didn't even breathe first. Like you just got backstage and you're already changing the entire scope of the project. Oh
1: my gosh.
2: Where he, did he do this? Did oh. he have any experience by the way prior to him? He directed. Okay, so the movie that he wound up making was based on a short that he had done before. I believe he had done a music video or two. Sort of, you know, low-key, quite indie, indie independent things. Nothing we've ever really heard of. Um so, I guess the answer is yes and no. <laughs> He's wow. got a reel of some sort. Um I believe he has an MFA. Uh but nothing that we could look up on Netflix and we might find it in an IMDb. Wow. Meanwhile,
1: Effie Brown did Dear White People. Right. Which got high critical acclaim, currently you know she- on Netflix. Exactly. Everybody knows about Dear White People. Yes. Um um, and that's
2: why I kept watching, you know, it was just like, this can't be real. <laughs> is this really happening? You know, is this man really playing her against everyone else? And you know, it was every episode and every episode was formulaic, how manipulative he was, how it made her the bad guy, how everyone sided with him and said, Oh, but he's such a genius. He's so great. He's so wonderful. And then how quickly her comments and concerns were dismissed, you know? Um, and mm. I, I, I had to get some things out, and like I said, I thought I could contain it to a few tweets, and apparently that wasn't going to be the case, so. <laughs> yeah,
1: and it uh, like I said um, at the beginning, it, it did get a lot of traction on Twitter. Who
2: has um, seen the article on Twitter that you know of? Lexi picked up on it right away. Uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, she said, you let me know when you finish. <laughs> I I sent her a message and I said, listen, I'm kind of putting you on a dream team to fix project Greenlight." And she was like shrugs. Okay, sure. (laughs) Do whatever. Just let me know when you finish it. And Uh, I should, I should also add, um, before you finish that, that your,
1: your dream team for project Greenlight is amazing. By the way, it includes Lexi Alexander, Jesse Williams, Ava DuVernay, Lawrence Fishburne, Paul, is it Paul Feige? Feig, Feig, Um, and Mark Ruffalo and Brad Pitt. Um, Mm -hmm. That's that. I, oh my God! I would pay an obscene amount of money to see those folks work together I mean, on films. See
2: how much like just how much power is it, even if you just do like the first five and have like Lawrence Fishburne and Mark and Paul rotate in from time to time. That's so many years of experience. The, the backgrounds for everyone. It, I mean, it just it boggles the mind. And I played with the lineup a little bit, <laughs> um, but I thought. You know, depending on um, what kind of project is being done, you know, maybe it's instead of picking one film, maybe it's two people giving the, ser- uh, the opportunity to do uh, two short films or maybe do a web series or depending on the type of project that would determine the lineup used. Right. Um, so if you're doing a, 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 co- a short comedy, then maybe bring in Lawrence Fishburne because, you know, he's the executive producer of Blackish. Um, depending on the type of, uh, script you have, he could probably add some punch to it. Um, or if you are, you know, it just, it just depends, but I, I, I felt comfortable with it. I thought I would, I would watch this on repeat if any of them were there. Um, and I thought that was, I, I thought it was pretty cool that everybody thought it was, it was good too. I thought, well, okay, <laughs> um, maybe we're onto something here, but it just needs to be, because if you look at the cast photo for the – I call them the advisory board for Project Greenlight. I mean Effie is the only one, the only one. And in many photos, she's cropped out. Oh, my God. She is cropped out. And so I've, I've seen a photo where it's Matt and Damon in the forefront, Peter Ferelli and a couple of other people, and, of course, Jason Mann in between Matt and Ben. And then there's some random woman whose face is obscured by a boom mic – I remember that image. I had tweeted
1: that image with the other um, infamous white image um, that was presented on social media of the late night team. Okay. That consisted of all white guys. And then, well, there were two black guys, but they were pretty much uh, made to look super white because they were light skinned already. Uh, that would be Larry Wilmore and um,
2: Ooh, yes, 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 Trevor Noah. Yes. Yeah. So if you zoom out that photo, well, Lexi, or not Lexi, sorry, Effie is actually in that photo. Wow. (laughs) You just don't see that version very often. And it's like, wait a second. If she's part of this team, and the other woman who's on the team, uh, she is the head of Matt and Ben's production company. Her name escapes me, so I'm sorry. But she is also not in that photo, the usual photo that's passed around. So it's like, okay, great. So not only are you cropping out both of them, but if they're gonna crop out somebody first, it's usually Effie. That's Boggles smarter. the mind. Boggles the mind. So yeah, I I, I had I I had reached my capacity, <laughs> really. Um and as someone like you, you know, went to film school, tried to break in, kept getting the door slammed or, you know, sent to the wrong door. <laughs> um, it, it was incredibly frustrating just so frustrating and it was it was sort of an aha moment of oh well this is why these are the people getting the opportunities some someone who's not very appreciative but almost expected it that's kind of what it seemed well he expected to win everyone expected to win expected him to win um and he you know even when they asked him well do you want to direct this movie well, well I don't know oh my God <laughs> i mean it's it's
1: heartbreaking for me because it, you know, is. it i I went to film school I have a master's in film
2: mm-hmm. and
1: even having a advanced degree in the film industry is still not enough nope. for a woman of color to even have a secure entry-level job, right. <laughs> not even a career as a filmmaker or a TV director, but even being able to maintain an entry-level position as a production assistant right. was difficult. And yeah. um, I, I definitely know what it's like to have the doors shut. The gatekeeping is so real in this industry. Um, you do not need an education. You don't need a degree in order to move up the ranks You really just know how to kiss ass and, you know, hobnob with the right people. That's the ticket to to moving up the ladder in Hollywood, unfortunately. It is a who-you-know kind of business. Yeah, and 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 um, I've
2: had so many conversations with people on here. You know, if I could, I would do this. If I could, I would be a screenwriter. If I could, Mm -hmm. I would be a stylist. And I always ask, well, what's stopping you aside from, you know, the obvious – And it's the fear of getting out there and having the door slammed in your face. Yep. You know, uh, people are stopped before they get started because they know the gatekeeping. The gatekeeping game is real out there. Yes. And it saddens me because it's happened like to you and to me um, that people aren't able to pursue their dreams because of melanin like that. Mm -hmm. That should be no reason for someone not to be successful or to follow Follow their their dream, but you know, luckily now, you know, we live in an age where technology allows us to sort of go around, um, and we find alternate means of distribution. Which is that's one of the reasons why I chose Ava. You know, she's got Array, um, right. and it focuses on distributing content from you know women of color or or people of color in general. Right. You create your own niche. You know, if if they're closing the door in my face, well, I'm just gonna go build a whole other house over here. I don't need you. I really don't need you. And I'm glad that she did that because I figured, you know, if someone maybe was a runner up uh, and was a person of color, they could have their project featured on Array. It gets exposure. um, It gets their name out there. And it's a credit. Did I tell
1: you about my uh, Saved by the Bell story? No. So I shared this on Leslie Mack's podcast. Um, She had interviewed me a few weeks ago. I went to school at Regent University in Virginia Beach and got my film degree. Yep. And during my years there as a film student, uh, Dean Engel, who is the creator of Saved by the Bell, yeah, also produced Last Comic Standing, he was the the dean of communications at our film school. So at the time, he was um, spearheading Last Comic Standing and... There were two white students that were in my class that actually had the opportunity to fly out to Los Angeles and work as production assistants.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, we both were in the same class, both had the same grades, um, same accolades. And I decided to walk up into his office one day and, you know, just decide to take a little step out on faith and walk and march in there and go, hey, um, you know, uh, Professor Dingle, uh, Professor Engle, um, I would <laughs> dingle. That, He's a dingle berry to me at this point.
2: Um, <laughs> I know, but you Keep going. <laughs> but but,
1: but I, I marched in there and I was like, you know, Professor Engel, I would really love to have a shot at Last Comic Standing. Mm-hmm. I think that I would be more than qualified to, to participate. And his words to me were, I don't know you. <gasps> and I was taken aback, obviously, but um, at that. The end of that day, I just remember crying for hours and thinking to myself, I will never amount to what my classmates um, are at this point because he sees them as being more valuable than I am simply because he elected to know them over me. And these were two white students, by the way. Um, And I went, it was a predominantly white school. There was a few of us there as film students, but not many, um, and certainly not many black women. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it just, it pains me because you shouldn't do that to someone that is trying to pursue their dreams and you shouldn't do that to someone that actually decides to boldly ask and say, Hey, I think I would be great at doing this. Um, so I, I will never forget that for the rest of my life. And, and when we talk about the gatekeeping, I mean, it, it really is held to certain men, Uh, to make the decisions whether or not they're going to allow uh, people of color to tell their stories. And it it makes me very frustrated, too, when we see so many stories on screen that have black characters and their stories about our culture and our lives, and Mm -hmm. it's being told through a white lens. Um, And that's where you see so many different mistakes. And that's why Quentin Tarantino's Feet has been held to the fire as of late as well because you see all of
2: these stories. Burn,
1: Quentin, burn. (laughs) Burn. You see all of these stories, and it's told from a white guy's perspective. And if you took the moment to realize that there are stories out there that we want to tell, that we are more culturally sensitive to, and that we have, um, you know, we understand the nuance of those stories, then I think it would have a more positive and it would probably be received a lot more than what we've been seeing today in Hollywood.
2: It needs to happen more, you know, holding people, holding people to the, holding their feet to the fire needs to happen more. And we also need to start, you know, talking with our money and with our viewership or rather withholding it if the product isn't up to snuff. Right. Um, And I know that there's been a lot of, uh, there are a few think pieces out there on, why certain movies are failing. Um, oh, my God, Bradley Cooper's movie only made $5 million. Oh, my God, Pan failed. Oh, my God, this failed. Well, you know, um, I can think of one reason why. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a few reasons why, but no one wants to see the same, <sighs> I'll just say it. No one wants to see the same pieces of Wonder Bread on the screen over and over and over again. Yep. And Hollywood is wringing their hands talking about why. I actually, Rebecca sent me a piece today that basically said all the Oscar bait films are being ruined in part by Ben Carson, Donald Trump, and the, and the presidential election antics. Wow. And I thought, you sure it have anything to do with the movies just sucking? <laughs> <laughs> are you sure that that can't possibly be a piece of the problem? Like, or are we just going to dance around that whole issue or what? And there, you know, it. it we just really need. It, I hate to use Jim as an example. Oh my gosh, happens, we should like, talk about that. Yes, Jim, <laughs> go ahead. But you see what happened with that, um, with Pan, with burnt. Uh, Aloha. Aloha, you know. Um, we just need to start withholding our money, withholding our our viewership. Let the ratings tank. Um, call out the people who are the biggest offenders. Look at who's, you know, I know some people are educated. I th- I would say that you and I, and a lot of other people are some educated consumers. We get into who's producing, who's directing, who's writing. Some people just don't care. They go just because it's out and they'll go to the movies anyway. But if you know uh, of, you know, a common, uh, a common denominator between certain projects, um, and 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 just kind of call them out in a way i'm not watching your film and i'm not going to support you and it's because you're xyz and (laughs) that's not how the world works that's not how the world looks we we have power we just need to learn how to use it more don't spend the money and don't watch it'll fail
1: justice was served justice is served when we do those things and um I, i think you bring up excellent points on all of those movies. I think we do have the power. Social media is really this huge conduit for change right now. Absolutely. And seeing what's happened with Jem and the Holograms, um, (laughs) Jem the movie, is indicative of that because people have been rallying to tell all the fans this movie is terrible, don't go watch it. I had participated in some hashtags here and there with (laughs) Jem and the Holograms. And now Universal is pulling it from its theaters because of no little to no turnout um That's a hundred and sixty dollars a screen is the financial quote um, and it made a little over oh it didn't quite clear five hundred thousand over opening weekend and the movie took five million dollars to make
2: so that in itself um, is incredibly offensive. <laughs> More uh, than
1: the movie itself?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, actually, I would say on par. Given the fact that other Hasbro properties, like G.I. Joe, like Transformers, none of them had a budget any less than $140, $150 million. So here's wow. Jim. You get the equivalent of the equivalent of the marketing budget for one of these movies to make the whole damn movie. Music videos cost more. Yep. Than the whole movie. So from the beginning, and I don't I don't know if that's a bro triarchy thing or just a really damn bad business decision. <laughs> but, Probably a little of both. Oh maybe a little bit of both, because to me on the surface, it's well, you know, it's for girls. We didn't need to put so much money into that. Says who? It's not just for girls. <laughs> um no. that's the first place where they went wrong. It's not putting enough money behind it. And then, keeping out the very person who created it, right, how do you not do that it did Jim just literally fall into your lap? Oh, look at what we got. We're gonna make this movie. No, go back to the source. Why was the source excluded? I feel like it was just a cash cow for them. like
1: this was just a quick buck, a big a money scheme to just make a quick buck, and it backfired on them. Who it- did those numbers? They stop <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I just, you know, I feel like with the way the script was dished out and the casting and, like you said, the exclusion of the creators and what really, really just, you know, it, it really makes me frustrated that Christy Marx herself was like, I want to be a part of this. And yeah. she had been wanting to do a gem movie for a decade And they still did not give her one phone call. They didn't even let her know that they were going to be making a movie. She found out about it on the Internet.
2: Oh, good Like,
1: how offensive is that? So justice served. I'm so glad that uh, that the film tanked and that they're, you know, they're releasing or they're, you know, ripping it from the theaters. And, um, you know, that's what you get. I mean,
2: I admit I... I will probably watch it at some point in my life. It won't be any time in the future. Maybe if I catch it on TV on a Sunday while I clean, uh, maybe. Um, but it's just, it's just really unfortunate. I I mean, it really, really is, but you know, Hollywood loves to reboot, reimagine and rejigger and re whatever. We'll see it again. I'm sure. Yeah. And maybe whoever owns the rights this time or the next time will do right by it. Um, We weren't asking for much as fans. We just wanted it to look like, to resemble slightly the show that we all grew up with and not have Synergy look like uh, Reject Wally. That's all we wanted. Synergy looks like a webcam. Like, what the hell were they thinking? (laughs) I don't know, but that's not my gem, and I'm not even bootlegging it. I don't care. I'm not watching it. Like, I've seen enough on YouTube, and I just thought there's no... If you gave me money to watch this, I would probably turn you down. I could I, I, I can't do
1: it. Clearly Gem the movie is indicative of what the power of brotriarchy can do to a movie. Exactly. ban brotriarchy
2: ban <laughs> it <laughs> down, <laughs> down with it 2016 is going down.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well Lauren thanks so much for for coming on and chatting with us about about this blog post. Um, and also, just really quick, why don't you give us your, your social media shout out and any projects that you're, you're currently working on?
2: Sure. I am um, at IamLaurenP on Twitter. Uh, right now, I've got the Diversity in Gaming series, which is still ongoing. We have a lot of people uh, in the queue lined up. I've got about 11 more uh, profiles that are going to go live on the site in the next couple of weeks. Um And really, that's about it. I'm actually working on a script to enter into a competition, Uh, so I'm excited about finally uh, knocking that off my to-do list. Um, But really, just the diversity in gaming series on your your lovely site, and uh, getting some gaming done in the process.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much, and uh, had a really good time. Really appreciate you you coming out tonight. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, we got to do this again. I'm so excited to be here with Steve Kassan. Steve Kassan is the creator behind this new web series called Out of Time. It's a science fiction fantasy series that you can find on the interwebs, and Steve's going to go over all the details of what it's about, but uh, he's the creator behind Out of Time web series, and he's also a Toronto-based actor, writer, and illustrator, having appeared in numerous short films and indie features, and he's also active in the Toronto web community. He partnered with Rodney Smith, who's the filmmaker behind Out of Time, And we're really excited to have him here on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Thank you, Steve, so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us tonight.
3: No, thank you for having me here. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to have me on here. It's it's really, really an honor and pleasure to be on here.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. So what made you decide to want to make sci-fi series and tell us what Out of Time is all about?
3: Okay, so I will start with Out of Time. Out of Time is a time travel sci-fi adventure web series, digital series. It is created by, with me and my co-producer and friend, good buddy, uh, Rodney B. Smith, who's also a filmmaker from Barbados by way of New York and now resides in Toronto. And it is about my character, Chris Allman, who has the ability to time travel, not physically, but mentally. He can jump back in time to any moments and he can relive it, but not in a physical state, but in a mental state. And he's doing that to save his girlfriend from dying. Now, there is consequences with having this uh, ability. So, as you have this this extraordinary power, everybody wants it. Wow. And and out of time is basically the entire series is about everyone wanting this this certain ability of to time travel uh, from Chris, and they want this, they want Chris, and try to extract this ability. Uh, power out of him, but all Chris wants to do is save his girlfriend. Now, we have a motto with with Out of Time, and our motto is whatever happens, stays happen. So, going by that, he might go back to change it, but does he succeed in doing it? And that is how the story progresses, and Out of Time also has a lot of characters in it, and it all centers around the ability of time travel. It's I would like to say it's sort of like with Game of Thrones in that you have all these characters in Westeros, but well, what is the one thing everybody wants? Mm. It's it's the Iron Throne, right? right? Because once you sit on the Iron Throne, you control everything. And our, our Iron Throne is time travel, and once you get that, well, everything comes up.
1: Awesome. That's really cool. That's really good. What are your thoughts on the representation of people of color in the sci-fi genre?
3: Well, the thing is with... Um, Myself, I'm a big fan of science fiction, uh, sci-fi, and, and all this geek stuff, because it's fun, right? That's the thing. Same thing with my friend, with my corporate producer Ronnie. We all love this stuff. He, he goes on about, tells me about all these theories of time travel and blah, 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 and everything like that. But the thing is that we grew up with all these, like, all these sci-fi properties where, you know, you hardly see any representation of, of color. You do see one or two. Right. You do have examples of it. Like, with (laughs) Terminator. Yeah, side characters. But they're, they can be important side characters. Like, my favorite, of course, I part of our influences with Out of Time is the Terminator series. And, you know, uh, Miles Dyson is, he's practically created Skynet. So he's a very important character, but he's not one of the main characters. But then, I always say, you know, Schwarzenegger, he's a POC by default. So, anyway. But, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Schwarzenegger is my guy. I love the guy. but anyways, uh, most out-of-time travel and sci-fi properties, it's, you don't see that much. And if you go to Out of Time, uh, our website, uh, outoftimeseries.com, you'll see that I am a person of color. I am Malaysian, Indian descent. And everybody, all the cast, is, is a, a different ethnicities, different ages. And also, it's a good balance of male and female. Because what we wanted to do with Out of Time is that not create a story, not create a web series or digital series or whatever. We wanted to create a world, and we live in Toronto, and Toronto is like New York. It's a multi of cultures, and the way I look at it is that we took a su- the subway method, and uh, when you go on the subway, when you go into work or wherever, when you get on it, you see everybody of different different types, and that's what we want to do because that's the world we live in, well, at least the world I live in.
1: Right. And that,
3: we want to reflect that with the series is that it doesn't matter who you are. You can be a youngster, you can be a senior, you can be someone in their middle in middle age, you can be black, white, brown, Asian, you know, Asia Pacific, or Native. It doesn't matter. We all live in this one world, and we want to reflect that. So that's what one thing we're doing. Without the time is, I don't know if it's a big leap, and I don't know what the big splash we'll make. We're hoping to make a big splash and showing in showing a representation there. But at least you know. Get something going, and make a make a voice, make a small voice. And also, you gotta look at it as like, okay, who's actually watching TV and what are they waiting for? I'm sure like people like you and I, we watch or like for me, I watch my stuff online. I usually watch TV for, for sports, to be honest, and maybe just one or few things. So, but they gotta, you gotta measure or whatever studios or networks. They gotta measure up in how, how we watch things. Like we wanna. Watch on um, digitally or watch on TV. If you go on, but still by TV, then it's still the same old, the same old formula, right? Right. And the, and that's the thing. And yeah, Minority Report's great, and it shouldn't be on the chopping block. But who knows? Maybe they'll, well, maybe they'll give it a chance. That's like Like C P Hollow, right? Right, right. Like Sleepy Hollow was totally kick-ass, and it's still there.
1: What was your idea in casting for Out of Time? And what advice do you have for budding filmmakers out there that are just getting started, they really don't know what to do, and they just need some direction and advice on how to shoot and make films?
3: I would say, well, the best example is Out of Time, in that I wasn't, uh, well, being a fan of all this sci-fi stuff and doing all this cool stuff, Trying to, I, w- I apply to, s- to many things, but I would try to apply for supporting roles or something like that. Because when I see the casting list, uh, you do see, okay, principal cast, looking for a male, blah, 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 Caucasian, supporting cast, male, uh, age range, any ethnicity. Okay. So click on, so I just click on that. Okay. I submit my stuff for supporting role. Even though I know I can do a principal role or a lead role, but that's not what they're looking for because they had this vision in their head and they want to see this type of guy. Whereas he sounds like an everyday normal type of person. Why can't I do it? So not being able to get that, me and, Rod- and also Rodney as well, uh, him wanting to do something since we work together. It's like, you know, why don't we just make our own thing? Why don't we just get our tools together see who's out there like most of our cats were, were not doing anything and they're all talented but the thing is that even uh, was even it was a white girls and white guys There's still it's still a, a, a struggle I would say because yeah you might have the looks but there's also 10 other people who have the same look or you may be you may be what they're looking for but there's always someone hotter there's always someone better mm-hmm. you know what I mean and, and that's also the thing too, right? Because most of the time it's, it's also, I would say it's based on look as opposed to based on talent. Like it's great you have talent, but if whoever's making it has a vision in their head and they want a certain look, well, I'm sorry. That's, that's the nature of the beast, right? You, you lose out. But in our thing, going by the subway casting again, or the subway method is that, okay, whoever's there, Let's make something out of it, and that's the that's the thing we, or that's the the ethics that we put into out of time. Whoever's available, whoever's ready, who's ever, who's there, not doing anything, come work with us. Come see what the brothers are doing, and then we'll do it. The brothers are gonna work it out as properly as we So, and that's the thing. Whoever's available, let's do it. And then, what's it the, uh, was it was pretty small without out of time, but then it grew and grew and grew and grew, and, grew, and everybody started coming. Everyone. We kind of gave a chance to let them showcase their talent, and voila, we we have it. You can go to our YouTube page, Out of Time series, and we have our pilot there, which is uh, it's broken up into two parts. But you can see from there what I'm talking about in terms of like who who's available and who we gave a chance to, and who who really gets a chance to shine. And the tools are there. I mean, you can download anything. You can we can purchase anything software but you can also download it let's be honest you can get a camera you can save it for money get a camera you can see who's out there go on Craigslist or kijiji and any casting or any crew site in your area and see okay i need a sound guy i need a lighting guy i need a thing blah 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 you can there's all this all this information online and there's so many books and how to plan a budget and everything so everything is there for you it's just that you gotta have the drive to do it you want to do it go for it and hey i'm with a big exa- example here it took us we started a lot of time in 2011 and we're just finishing it uh-huh. like we and be- because we, we finish all the episodes we, finish, we even have like a feature film cut of all the content but let's expand the idea because we always with the motto of we're building a world that's let's, let's add a new characters. let's see how this fits in let's see how this one fits into the story. Let's see who's available and blah, blah, blah. So we're always adding new stuff. And that's the thing. If you have the drive to do it, go and do it. That's how, that's how all the successful people are there. They had the drive to do it.
1: So right now, geek culture has become super, super popular. Um, it's no longer this obscure subculture. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were on the state of geek culture and how does it affect you as a writer that's very much involved in science fiction, fantasy genre writing?
3: I think that I think it's great that it's out there, and I think that it's it's a way for people to be accepted. But then when you look at it, it's really or the way I see it with me and my friends is that when I grew up, me and my friends were into comic books we're into sports we're into wrestling we're into movies we're into all these different types of books and into all these different uh, variations of music and everything we grew up is now pop culture Mm -hmm. so you could say that we kind of we kind of have become our parents because everything they grew up with or they've uh, encountered were pop culture at the time and it was the longevity and it stayed with them it's like, say, let's go for the example of uh, Tom and Jerry. It's very, very popular, right? Mm-hmm. With our parents' generation. Now, with us, uh, most of the people, my friends I know, we quote SpongeBob or Simpsons or whatever. That's our Tom and Jerry. That's our Ren and Stimpy. Right? So okay. it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like a cycle. But also, and the thing is that, I don't know, it might be, there might have be a cap to it. Because everything runs its course. And then you gotta start fresh. So I don't know how, when that cap is, but but at the time I think it's great. But also, the problem is that there's a lot of content out there. Everyone is, everyone's doing a Star Wars thing, everyone's doing a Star Trek thing, everyone's doing a Marvel, DC thing, and whatnot. And when you have all of that, how do you read through it and pick the good ones? And I was saying that, Having a time travel series, but that's one thing we want to do. It's like with all the time, is that yeah, it has time travel elements in it. It has some geek properties in it, but let's changing up a bit so that since everyone's going right, let's go left and add something different. I think that's the key: is that you might, if you might do something that's akin to geek culture or might be similar to it, but go the other way, uh, see what's See what's uh, happening on this corner, which might be a surprise to them. I also have this other thing called Wasted, and it's about a group of friends who who have fun when the, when a zombie apocalypse happens. Now this uh, we we rolled this idea back in 2012, and we have just been developing and developing. But now zombies become oversaturated, I would say. I mean, if Definitely. if it ain't Walking Dead, yeah. If it ain't Walking Dead, then forget about it. Because that's the most popular thing. So then we started talking and say, okay, what can we do to change it up? Yeah, we can have zombies, but you know what? Let's add some monsters. Let's add some mutants in it. Let's add, let's add some different things. Make it more interesting. I mean, Resident Evil did that. And like, in Resident Evil 2, they added monsters. They added nemesis and everything like that. So if they did it, how can we do it? Change it up. And I think that's the key. Like, it's great now, but change something. Make, make you stand out of the pack. That's why understand. I love oh sorry. That's why I love Sleepy Hollow because you might think, you, I know some, some of you out there might look at it and think oh this is corny or this is stupid or whatnot but it's different. It's updated and the horse wing's using guns and this and there's all this occult stuff and everything like that and Abby's such a wicked character too and you know it's, it's, it's a different thing. It's using the same formula but it's, it's changed, right? Right. They added some specialness to it. So that's why I love it. Was, Sleepy Hollow was a great example about it. Okay, give us your social media
1: shout-outs. Tell us where we can find more information about Out of Time web series, um, where we can find you on the interwebs.
3: Sure. Uh, let's see. Out of Time, all the contacts. Uh, out of Time series, you can find it on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Is all one thing out of time series. Just at that, and you'll see my face. I'm doing my time travel posts. That's the main thing. So when you see me, that's it. And also I have wasted with the the whole zombie mutants thing. You can follow that on uh, Twitter at wasted show, and also on Facebook at wasted show. And you can also follow me on Instagram, Steve Cassand. K A S A N. First name Steve. And that's that's it for now. Uh, some other projects. Uh, I have this one uh, short film, that drew, which is really cool. It's called LL041. You can go on Facebook and find that. LL041 is about the CAA recruiting uh, college and university students and try to bring them in into their into their program. It's uh, it might sound the same or or whatnot, but it's it's really interesting as a policy kid and, and and how he. And this kid, like, tries to hack into all these programs and finds all this information and gets recruited. And I was just going nuts because he's just, he's still just a kid. But he, even though he has all these, like, special abilities and whatnot in, in terms of hacking and finding all this information. But at the end of the day, he's just a kid being recruited. And how do you handle that? So you can check that out, which is going to be pretty cool.
1: Again, guys, this is Steve Kassan. He's the creator behind the Out of Time web series. Make sure you check it out. Go to www.outoftimewebseries.com for more information. And thanks for coming by to talk to us, Steve. Hope to chat with you again on a future podcast
3: you should stop judging me based on
2: just what you see if you look closely we all want to be free you should
3: stop judging me based on just what you see have you thought possibly no difference you and me you should stop judging me based
2: on just what you see know that you hold the key to unlock
0: unity
3: you should stop judging me based on just what you see maybe just probably we're all part of a team
1: wow that was a really fun interview i had a great time with that one Our next segment here is about NACoCon 2015. It's a three-day convention that takes place in Hampton, Virginia, and it's an anime con. It was actually the very first con that I ever went to, so it was a blast being able to come back and also do a panel over at NACoCon. The panel was about social media and geek culture, and I had the pleasure to share the panel with Melody Gordon, Ty Gooden, and Tara Cook. Now, we did not get the opportunity to record the panel, But what I did do was just walk around the convention space and ask some questions of some of the patrons there about what they thought of NACoCon, also what they thought about diversity, and I had the opportunity to speak to Melody Gordon, who was a panelist, about our panel, Social Media and gate Culture, and how she's used social media herself to connect with other nerds online. So take a listen. I have Melody here. She is a contributor to Black Girl Nerds, and also she was a panelist on our Social Media and Geek Culture podcast that took place today, November 7th at 9 a.m. Melody, first and foremost, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your social media shout-out, and what got you involved with the Social Media and Geek Culture panel at NicoCon.
0: Hi, I'm you know, I consider myself the average anime fan, and you know, I typically, um, use social media to kind of keep up with what's happening in different shows that I like, and casting, and, you know, things of that nature, and, you know, that's why I decided to participate in the panel, and, you know, I mostly work through Twitter, which my handle is Melody underscore Gordon, and, and Tumblr, which, you know, is a little less active than, you know, my Twitter account, but they're, they're all like really good avenues for me to like stay on top of the things that interest me.
1: And what is your favorite thing about social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr? um, What do you find the most appealing? And what are some of the cons that you've encountered while being on social
2: media?
0: I would say a really, really big plus is that you realize you're not the only person that's into, you know, whatever your favorite weird thing is. And, you know, that's good. Like growing up, it was, it always made me feel a little weird. Like, oh, I'm the only person that's into this and you never have anybody you can talk to or, you know, kind of geek out over things with. And so that's the biggest pro to me is that, you know, you're not just like that weird kid that's into, you know, this obscure show or, or comic or anime is you find like your tribe, basically. Um, the kind of that is, you know, these really cool people that you meet online are all like spread out across the country or, or sometimes spread out all over the world. And so it's difficult to kind of replicate that family you find online in real life. Which is why, you know, I try to make it out to a con every now and then.
1: And finally, um, for anybody that has not heard of NicoCon that's not familiar, tell us a little bit about what NicoCon is and what brought you out to this particular convention when you first heard about it.
0: It is an anime convention. A lot of anime fans have different tastes and interests than, you know, like most of the people that go to comic conventions. And so it's pretty much the same as like a comic con. But there's definitely more of an anime, you know, bent with the cosplayers and the panels. And when I first moved to Virginia, I was just kind of looking to see if there were any cons nearby. Because the very first con I went to in my hometown was Anime Blues Con, which is uh, in Memphis. It was a small con. And, you know, I'd never done anything like that before. And I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. And so when I moved to Virginia and I saw that, you know, there was a local con near me, I was like, oh, you know, maybe this will this will be like the same thing. This will be just as much fun and, you know, I can meet some new people and have, you know, a good time with other nerds.
1: <laughs> All right, so NicoCon 2015, um, you've been out here. How long have you been at the con so far?
5: Um, this is uh, my second day, uh, about an hour.
1: About an hour, okay. Yeah. What do you think of NicoCon in general?
5: Well, this is my first time coming and I'm enjoying it.
1: <laughs> what brought you out here?
5: Uh, my friend AJ he told me about it and I just had to come.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah. Has there been any cosplay so far that's been pretty impressive for you?
5: Uh, all of it's amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I now, saw
5: this one dude yesterday in this big old robot. I don't, I don't see him today, but it was amazing.
1: Now, who are you uh, cosplaying as right now? Because it's a very interesting costume Panty Man. <laughs> Panty Man, okay. Yeah. So, this is just creative cosplay that you came up with on your own?
5: I found it surfing YouTube and Facebook. Nice. Nice.
1: All right. Thanks for talking to us. Appreciate it. (laughs) All right. um, John, tell us first and foremost you are dressed up in cosplay today. Who are you dressed as?
5: I'm Link with the Legend of Zelda Hyrule Warriors.
1: Okay. And tell us about your experience at NikoCon. Is this your first year or are you a regular?
5: Uh, this is my third year. Uh, I always come here to uh, dress up, you know, this is a good environment for the Hanson Road area for everybody to uh, get into the creative uh, side, you know, or be like the characters I always wanted to be in for their fantasy shows or games, all that.
1: And what is your favorite thing about NicoCon?
5: Um, seeing all the costumes, like, uh, seeing how everybody uh, interprets their favorite characters, and I've seen some uh, pretty nice interpretations. So, you know, you don't have to be like, uh, put a lot of money to it, uh, do a good cosplay. Just like, do what you feel.
1: And um, for those that are not into anime, but they want to go to a convention experience, what kind of things can you see at NACOCon um, for fans that may not necessarily be into anime?
5: Well, they say this. I mean, you know, it's an anime convention. I have seen people that's into uh, comic books. Also, I've seen characters that's like from novels like Game of Thrones here or like... Uh, just regular TV shows or just like um it, like someone I saw a guy last night just up like uh dude with a Netflix show uh Netflix, you know Netflix T shirt and uh icebuck like saying like Netflix you know Netflix and chill. Okay. That little that little story so it, it's a lot of creative thinking like I said. So you don't have to be like an anime nerd to be here. It's like you can just enjoy all the costumes and like the
1: festivities. Um First and foremost, is this your first time at NicoCon or have you been here before?
0: This is our first first time. time.
1: How do you think of the con so far?
0: It's wonderful. I love seeing all the people dress up. Yeah. I actually dressed up myself and this is my very first time cosplaying. I'm glad I did because now I feel like around my people.
1: (laughs) And um, for those of us that can't actually see your cosplay, who are you cosplaying as?
0: I'm cosplaying as Connie from Steven Universe.
1: Nice, nice. Um, so what do you think about the diversity of NicoCon, um, so far from just being here today? What do you think? Do you feel like it's very inclusive of people of color and um, convention spaces?
0: Oh yeah, there's a lot of diversity. I see some of everything. everything. Even things I don't recognize,
1: of course. makes it really special. <laughs> nice, nice. So um, as far as panels go, have you been to any so far? Not yet, but I want to. I'm not sure one day. Yeah, we haven't been to any panels yet. Okay, is there anything that you're looking forward to this weekend with NICOCon?
0: There's a Smash Brothers tournament, I'm pretty sure. I want to look at that. Um, not really. I'm just walking around seeing what they have. Cool.
1: Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. So what are your thoughts of NICOCon 2015 so far? It's actually been pretty good this year. the, the attendance is smaller because of the new rules that they have, but the convention itself is always the best. Is this your first time here? Have you been gone Have you gone to Nicocon in the past? This is my second year at NikoCon, um, probably my eighth or ninth convention. And you are actually in cosplay right now. For those of us that obviously can't see, who are you dressed as? I'm doing somewhat of an original character. It's Ichigo Kurosaki from Bleach, but it's a leader version of the character. And what are you looking forward to the most at NicoCon 2015? I've absolutely got to see the masquerade, the costume contest, because next year I plan on being a part of it. Nice. And what do you think about the diversity at NicoCon compared to any of the other cons that you've been to in the past? This is probably the most diverse as far as age and race. It's so many different people here, and I actually get to be around people my age instead of younger people as usual.
0: start,
4: kaeru no wa
5: hibito
4: to honna kabe doku, kaku monogatari no yona shinochi no zu, na kane
5: Che
2: They made me chuckle. I'm sorry. Oh, (laughs) Schumer speaks up about gun control. Oh God, she's working. She's working so hard to be relevant. I don't understand. Somewhere, Rod Serling is narrating this very long episode of The Twilight Zone, (laughs) and it's called 2015 because this entire year has just been off the chain. I cannot, cannot.
1: It's been crazy. it's It's a whirlwind. It's almost fiction at this point. Like I I'm don't not... even know what's real and what's not.
2: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.